I wonder if you've ever been asked that question, uh, who made God? Uh, It's a question that kids uh, often ask. I know that our kids have asked it as they've tried to get their heads around the reality of God. Dad, who made God? Uh, Adults ask it too. Some because they're really wanting to believe in God, but they're struggling to. Uh, But others, like Richard Dawkins, they use that question as an argument against the existence of God. Uh, John Lennox, uh, emeritus professor of mathematics at Oxford University, was debating Richard Dawkins uh, on the existence of God. And Dawkins asked that question, who made God or who created God? Lennox says there's something intellectually wrong with that question. And philosophers apparently call it the complex question because it shuts down the only possible reasonable answer. The question assumes an answer. Who made God assumes God is a created being. But what if God is not a created being? God eternal. Uh, Lennox answered Richard Dawkins, he said, you think that this is a serious question, so let me apply it to you. You believe the universe created you. So let me try your question on you. Who created your universe? And Lennox said he's still waiting for the answer. Uh, As we come to to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse Three, the question that we answer is, who created the world? Because this tells us what the world is like and why it was created. So it's three questions this afternoon. Normally I try and do one, but it's three. Who, what, and why? And this is the focus of the writer of Genesis and not how was the world created, at least not from a scientific perspective. The aim of the passage to teach us about the God who created the world, the kind of world God created, and God's goal for creation. Who, what, why? And can I just say, as an aside, I'm really thankful that God's word, the Bible, is for living in the here and now. Uh, that it addresses the, those big things, like who am I? Uh, what, what is this life all about? Where do I belong? Who, who am I connected to? Uh, how am I meant to live? What is the relationship between my day-to-day work life and trusting and, and following God? Uh, God's word, the Bible, is our great friend with all of the difficulty of living day to day in this life. Anyway, who created the world? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I guess you could say that verse, the first one, is is a little bit like the title, uh, the headline, And the rest of the passage is the story. God sits behind all reality as we know it. God creates the heavens and the earth. God makes everything happen. God speaks everything into existence. God sees his work. God separates light from darkness, water from water, and water from 
from land, God names, God blesses, God gives, God rests. You're picking up on some repetition here, I hope. God is at the beginning of everything. God is the source of everything. God is at the centre of everything. And so you just picture yourself for a moment. You're sitting there with your Bible open, and some of you are in that place right now, which is good. And you're reading some passage. What's the first question that you ask? How does this apply to me? Or what does God want me to go and do because we want to get on with life, don't we? They're good questions and we ask them, but not before we ask, what is God's word telling me about him? And how he relates to his world. If you're anything like me, and I know that a number of you are, you have a tendency to make everything about you. But God's word is not firstly about you. Your needs, your desires, your problems, your decisions, your hopes, your dreams. No, God's word is first and primarily about God so we can know God, so that we can love God, so that we can enjoy God, so that we can trust God, so that we can submit to God. So with that in mind, what does the creation story tell us, the reader, about this God? We're sitting here with our Bibles. Well, it says God speaks, doesn't it? You picked up on that repetition, and God said, and God said. But if we narrow that down, more specifically, God commands, because when God speaks, stuff actually happens. Light appears. Waters gather, land masses Form, plants and trees spring up from the ground. It is an amazing picture, isn't it? God speaks and stuff happens. And of course, this says that God is powerful, but it says more than God is powerful to create. The fact that God speaks his creation into being and that he doesn't wave a magic wand around says God is in relationship to his creation. Speaking is a relational thing to do, isn't it? Have you thought much about this? God rules over his creation by talking to it. Creation, like a a loyal subject, responds obediently to God's word. And so we read at the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the... Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Some of you looked at this last week if you were here. The God who was there in the beginning was not alone in the beginning because the Word of God, Jesus Christ, was with God in the beginning. What does this mean? What does this say? Well, it says the God who speaks is a community of persons. Theologians call the God we worship Trinity, don't they? We worship a Trinitarian God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the God who created us is the God who makes himself known to us, cares about us, and commits to relationship with us. And, of course, we see that so clearly in the person and work of Jesus. Uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So our Bibles are opened and we're reflecting, well, what does this tell us about God? The creation story says this God, some God, a God, the God of the Bible, he speaks. God is powerful, relational. But you notice too, it also says that God names uh, God calls the light, what, day? The dry ground, he, he calls land. And the, the gathered waters, he calls seas. Uh, and apparently in the ancient world, the naming of things, that was the job of a king, of a ruler. And so some ruler conquers some people over here. The ruler, he changes their name to show who's boss. And so God naming his creation shows he's not just the maker, but he's the ruler too. He's in charge of his creation. And you're sitting here with your Bible. What does this tell me about God? It tells us that he's generous. Apparently every generation at the moment is becoming more and more entitled uh, my parents look at me and think, that boy is so entitled, he expects so much. And I look at my boy and think, that boy is so entitled, he expects so much. We think, I deserve this or that, and I'm unhappy because I want this or, or, or that. We are so entitled, but creation is a gift. God did not have to make the universe. He did not have to make you, but he did. And in some sense, we see his generosity, don't we, in the sheer abundance of creation. Chapter 1, verse 20, we, the water is to teem, to, to, to be filled, to overflowing. And some of you are fishermen and you, you love that reality. Verse 22 and 28 of chapter 1, God, he tells the birds, the fish and the humans to multiply and fill the earth. Here you go, guys. Enjoy, fill the place. And God gives humans, verse 29, every seed-bearing plant and every fruit tree with seed in it to eat. Verse 30, he gives mammals, reptiles and birds every green plant to eat. You see something of God's generosity here. We've just been at Fraser Island last weekend. Everyone talks that place up, don't they? You've got to go to Fraser. And, you know, we've lived here for I don't know how many years. We've never been. And so we went, and I was thinking I'd be, you know, underwhelmed because uh, everyone talks it up. Uh, so we took Jen's four-wheel drive, uh, and we didn't get bogged. Uh, God, God is very generous, though getting bogged is a fun thing as well, isn't it? And you go to Fraser Island, and you just look at the trees, and they just keep going up and up. And up, and with such diversity. And then there's those inland lakes with the white sand, and you feel like you're at the snow. It's amazing. There's all these different pockets. God gives us his creation to enjoy. The God who creates the world, he speaks, it happens. He's powerful, relational, he's in charge, he gives generously. But what kind of world did God make? Well, just look with me there, verse 2 of chapter 1. I'll read that one. 
We read, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I really love the way that verse sort of builds an anticipation. It's about to happen. Creation is about to burst into into existence. But you read it and you might think, well, what's with the waters in verse 2? What are they or or who or what is the Spirit of God there in verse 2? Well, uh, in ancient thought, the waters, water represents chaos and non-existence. Hence, when we get to the last book in the Bible in Revelation, the new creation is described without any sea. It's not that there won't be sea in the new creation, but, but of what it represents. Genesis 1 shows how God brings life and order out of chaos. The Spirit of God, is this the Holy Spirit? We're talking about a Trinitarian God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But I'm not sure that the writer was thinking that way all those years ago. And some of you may know that the Hebrew word for spirit, it's also used for breath or wind. So we sing that song, O breath of life. Come sweeping through us, O wind of God. It's a play on that word. The writer would have seen that the spirit of God as an extension of God's power, I suppose. It makes sense then that God creates the world by speaking. That takes breath, doesn't it? But when we come to the New Testament and we come to Acts chapter 2 and God the Holy Spirit, he shows up on the day of Pentecost, he comes with the force of a violent wind and fills the house. So the apostles are empowered to speak God's word. And in the narrative of Acts, the way that the gospel spreads is spirit-filled proclamation of the gospel. It's through speaking God's word at Pentecost that men and women receive new life in Christ. It's a new creation But only by reading Genesis 1 in light of the New Testament can we say that God the Holy Spirit is there in verse 2 of chapter 1. Anyway, back back to Genesis 1. You notice that God's creation, um, and the nerds, they seem to love this. It's just wonderfully ordered. On On the first three days, God creates the space which he then fills afterwards. So day one, he creates light and and separates it from darkness. Day two, God separates waters in the atmosphere from waters below. Day three, God separates the waters below to create land. Uh, But then on the next three days, he, he fills the space he's just created on days one to three. So day four, God fills the space above the earth with sun, moon, and stars. Day five, God fills the skies with birds and uh, the seas with marine life. Day six, God fills the land with mammals, reptiles, insects and and, and humans. So there's these two sets of three days. God creates the space in the first three, which he then fills over the next three. And then if you you, use someone who really likes this stuff, you, you notice that day one relates to day four and day two to day 
five and day three with day six, and it's beautifully ordered symmetry. What is God's creation like? Well, it's beautifully ordered. And we see that even today, even though this world is now broken, don't we, as the sun rises and then the sun sets, as the seasons come and, and go. What is this creation like? Well, notice it's also good. You see that repetition six times God saw what he made and declared it was good. Very good in verse 31. So I reckon that means it was well made. Uh, beautiful. It does what it's intended to do. You know when you make something, and I, Jack and I do these projects in the shed, and when it actually works, you look at it and don't throw a tantrum. You look at it and you say, that's good. That's good. Well, God, he looks at his grand creation. He sees it and he says, it's good. Who, what, why? Why is the final question? Why did he do it? What's the goal of God's good creation? Uh, we read in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished his work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And we observe, don't we, that this seventh day, it's, it's different from all the rest. God rests on the seventh. God blesses the seventh. God makes the seventh holy. And there isn't that repetition that's been there before. And there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. God's rest shows that the goal of creation is not all work. And some of us really need to hear that. God's rest shows the goal of creation is not all work. There's more to life than work. Creation is to be enjoyed, but more specifically, God is to be enjoyed. We praise the giver of the gift, not the gift itself, don't we? God is to be enjoyed. And to put it another way, we could just simply say the goal of creation is to worship God. That there's no and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day shows worship is not just something that you do on the seventh day, but that we were made for it every day in all of life. But for doing that, and you may know this in your life, for doing that, we do need to stop, don't we? Stop the jobs, the work that we do on the other six to remind, refocus, re-energize, to worship God every day in all of life. It's why we gather together on a Sunday afternoon every week. Rest and worship, refocus, re-energize, reorientate. And it's similar in the human relationships, isn't it? I know for myself, for me to enjoy to delight in my wife, Jen, we need space to hang out together, not just doing the jobs. But time where I can really enjoy and focus on her and her on me. 
And I've got to say, I don't do that very well. Uh, in our family at the moment, we're into Pokemon cards. Uh, actually, I think the whole of the school behind you is into Pokemon cards. It's not a good thing. Uh, Star Wars, it's a little bit better from my point of view. Soccer, I love that one. Uh, and Harry Potter. Uh, I don't know if you share any of those interests at the moment. But in Harry Potter, have you seen, read the books or seen the movies? There's that magic mirror. I don't remember its name. Uh, but when Harry looks into this mirror, he sees his dead mum and his dead dad as if they're still alive. It's this beautiful moment. They're smiling at him. And Dumbledore, he explains what the mirror does. He says, it shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desires of our heart. And, and the deepest, most desperate desires of Harry Potter's heart is, is to be reunited with his, his parents. To worship God is to desire God above all else. To worship God is to enjoy love, delight in God in such a way that it shapes our whole lives. I wonder if you were looking into the Harry Potter mirror right now, what would, it, what, what would you see? What would it reveal? Bored? Distracted? Or would you see yourself enjoying and delighting in God? You see, the goal of God's good creation, the why of creation, it's worship. And the goal of the new creation, when Jesus finally returns, it's worship too. I love that picture in Revelation chapter 21 where, where the, the new creation is described as a wedding. John, the, the writer, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. New picture of coming down the aisle, don't you? Beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his People and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's a beautiful picture. Um, I get to be a part of people's weddings because I'm a minister. And I, a couple of weeks ago I was doing this. And, and one of the things that I love to do is not look at the beautiful bride, you know, walking down the aisle, but to watch the groom. I get to stand next to him often uh, and he's, he's just mesmerised by, by his bride walking down the aisle. He's often sobbing. I love that bit. Overwhelmed with this joyous emotion, his eyes fixed on her with such delight and no one else. And that is how Jesus sees his people. You, the bride of Christ. He loves you, he enjoys you, and delights in you so much. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
the new creation, the goal, worship, the image, marriage. It's the same as creation in the beginning. This is the God who made you to worship him, who made you for himself, who made you for his glory and pleasure and who willingly enters our world, the word became flesh and dies for you to love you and live with you forever. It's first about him, hey, and then it just changes everything. The God who created us by his word is powerful, relational, is in charge, is generous. His creation is beautifully ordered and very good. So we look to him and delight in him as he does in us. Let's pray. Our great God, we just want to pause now and bow before your throne in worship. We thank you that while you did not have to make the universe, in your generosity you did. Lord, we thank you that you are a relational God, that you didn't wave a magic wand and step back from your creation, but that you speak, that you relate. And we thank you so much for how we see this in Jesus, where you speak with such clarity, entering our messy world. Lord, we thank and praise you, for you are a God who is creative and ordered, a God who gives us beauty to enjoy. We thank you for your generosity and we pray that you would forgive us for our entitlement. May we be a people who experience this world as gift. And Lord, as we enjoy your world, we pray that we would look higher than the hills, that we would look up to the maker of heaven and earth and that we would worship you. And as you have us doing this, <laughs> that we would understand what life is all about, that who we are, that who we're connected to, that where we, where we belong, that how we fit our work life and our relationship with you, we pray that it, it, would, it would all be just a wonderful act of worship. Lord, we can't have it this way in and of ourselves, and so we pray that you would move us by your spirit to enjoy you and grow in you as we wait for Jesus' return where we will see him face to face. And we just praise you, Lord, for all of this. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.